Welcome to the Quartering Podcast for Tuesday, the 3rd of January. First up, NFL player collapses on live TV, Damar Hamlin suffers cardiac arrest and all heck breaks loose. Like many of you, uh, I saw what happened last night. I didn't see it live, but I was getting text messages from friends that were like, are you watching the game? And I was like, uh, no, the Packers aren't playing. Why would I watch it? It's got no playoff implications for the Packers. I know many of you don't care about sports ball, and I 100% respect that. And the NFL has done just about everything it can to run off its normal fans. Yet, I remain because it's one of my few vices. Now, last night, during live action play, one of Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bills players, DB, uh, Damar Hamlin, suffered cardiac arrest following a collision on the field. So, of course, immediately, everyone deployed to politicize it. Now, I'm going to probably, look, if you're upset by my take, I, I, I ask maybe, hear me out, feel free to disagree. That's what I appreciate about my viewers. You, you all are happy to disagree with me. Um, you know, look, I don't know what happened to him. Here's what I do know, and I'm gonna lay it out right in chapter and verse. For those people that think it's related to the poke, even if that were true, do you think they'll ever tell you? Of course not. They'll never say that. What I do know, though, is there are other cases of the other thing people are posting. Uh, you may have seen the NPC update. I even had a small update myself of this thing called commotio cordis, which essentially happens when... Um, during your heart's beat cycle at one specific spot, if you get like a blunt force trauma to that, to that spot, it can send you into cardiac arrest. It's a real thing. It's happened to athletes in the past, and I will show you that. And then we will discuss other things, riskier things. This is the prevailing mainstream definition or ex expectation of what happened to Damar Hamlin. This is the kind of the beat of your heart, one cycle of a beat of your heart, okay? You have your P wave, then you have your QRS complex wave, and then your T wave. What happens is if you get like a, a strong, it's happened in the past with baseballs, it's happened in the past with hockey pucks, it's happened in the past, I think with tennis balls. Um, in this orange line, as it's converting from the S wave back up to the T, if you get that trauma, it can trigger cardiac arrest. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying this is my understanding of commotio cordis as a non-doctor, but as somebody who spent some time researching it last night. So essentially as your heart pumps, there's one moment essentially of vulnerability. It's like a D&D &D game. And if this exact moment, I mean, a golf ball could probably cause it, right? Um, to uh, everyone that says it's never happened before, uh, it's happened numerous times in the past. Here's an article. The tragedy on Arizona Diamond, a 13-year-old youth baseball player, passed away after being struck by a pitched ball in the chest. And Thomas said, commotio cordis is believed to be the electrical event when it curves when a ball hits the right place during the movement. This is obviously long before the poke ever existed. In fact, well, I'm not actually, actually, I can't say that. I'm not sure if this is dated or not. But this is like a 
Oh yeah, February 27th, 2012. So this is before that ever exists. So this this has existed, of course. If you remember Chris Pronger from the NHL, happened to him in 1998. So everyone who says they've never seen it before, it's never happened before. I mean, a simple Google search, I could pull up half a dozen athletes that it's happened to. Okay, Chris Pronger suffered commotional cortis after taking a slap shot to the chest in 1998. Okay, it happened. Um, do we know if that's what happened to DeMar Hamlin? No. What we do know is he was involved in a collision. A tackle. It wasn't like he had the ball and he fell on the ball, so you had like this kind of pointed point to push in. But what we do know is this morning, the Hamlin family issued a statement saying, on behalf of our family, we want to express our sincere gratitude for the love and support shown to DeMar during this challenging time. We are deeply moved by the prayers and kind words and donations from fans around the country. We'll get to that too. We also want to acknowledge that the dedicated, the dedicated first responders and healthcare professionals at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center who have provided exceptional care to DeMar, we feel so blessed. Thank you, Hamlin family. Now, uh, in terms of outside of, unless you're at the hospital, there are few places on earth to have a health emergency better than an NFL playing field. Uh, they have obviously access to the best doctors uh, seconds away from you, police escorts to the ER, um, and you know you have basically your best chance. Now, to the more curious side of it okay we all know you know people have asked questions if you look at this article right um charlie walker back in november 2021 this is after everyone was kind of poked up leading cardiologist says footballers should not panic after five high profile collapses but insists all players need to be checked through their 20s and 30s that's a lot of super athletes collapsing on the football field soccer field for Americans. You know, you have a, a spat of high-profile heart problems and collapses among professional athletes in recent weeks are likely to be coincidences rather than an indication of players are struggling to cope with the high-intensity game, according to a leading cardiologist. I mean, I don't know. These things happen. People absorb this stuff. It becomes you know, part of our memory. And so every time another one happens, people are like, what's going on here? They, I mean, the article literally used my, uh, hold on. Coincidence. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I can't say it isn't, but it's a lot of super fit athletes dropping like flies. So last night when this happened to Hamlin, people were asking questions immediately. We know that the NFL has extremely strict poke rules. Uh, I don't know his status, by the way. Uh, there are players in the NFL who are not, who, who have not taken it. So I want to point that out too. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, for example, high profile player that never took it. Um, Cole Beasley, another high profile wide receiver used to be probably, um, never took it. Uh, there are players in the NFL more than you think that did not take it. So we don't know if he did or didn't. All right. I'm just trying to be objective here. 
I think the easy thing to do is make posts like Charlie Kirk did, where he just says, this is a tragic and all too familiar sight right now. Athletes dropping suddenly. Like, the, he's implying that it's from the poke. Okay, obviously. Obviously. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I, I'm making this video because I, I just think that, like, gosh, I even tweeted it out earlier in the day. Uh, where you just kind of, it's getting frustrating that these things are getting politicized. It's basically like, uh, oh, another mass event where, where 20 people didn't survive. Who did the guy vote for? Who can we blame instead of worrying about the victims, right? I'm guilty of that, 100%, right? Oh, another, another, uh, another event in a shopping mall. They're not talking about it. Must not be a white guy. And it's like the bodies are still warm, and I do that. And like, you know, it's it's weird. Maybe it's just because of like all these people, Ken Block, did Uche yesterday pass away? You have a lot of high profile people who are sick, um, and not and not, so it's like I've become maybe a little more soft on that. I just think like this kind of stuff is not helpful. Charlie Kirk does not even know if the guy was poked. He's not a doctor. He's just like spinning up the, the, you know, the machine for likes and retweets. Now, I think I've been very clear about my position on the poke. I don't have it. Um, but I don't care if you made the decision to get it. I don't look at you any differently. It's really none of my business. Like... It's really none of my business. Um, and I think that, you know, I, that's just been my position forever on this channel. People, I, I certainly think people who are old enough, who are old and have, you know, several health risks, their calculation of whether or not they want it is very different than mine. Although, you know, I've got several of my own being overweight and so on. But I, I think that what I wanted to focus on is, you know, this guy is fighting for his life. Maybe we just, like, wait to politicize it until he comes through it. Or maybe he doesn't, and then we can talk about it. Uh, it's, it's the same thing, like I said. I just couldn't help but feel like, God, already? The guy's, like, literally getting CPR on the field, and there's a zillion tweets about, oh, must be the poke. I understand why people feel that way. But also, we don't even know if he has it. And, like, this is a human being that maybe he does have it, Right? How many people do you know that got it against their will? I know several. I know people that got it because they had to keep doing their job to feed their family. And it's easy for people to say, well, I wouldn't do that. And some people did. But some people didn't have a choice. They wanted to feed their family. This, this is their job. They needed to get it. So they went and got the J&J &J because it was only one. How many people like that do you probably know? Was this guy like spouting pro poke stuff all over Twitter and Instagram? No, he's just an athlete. So like, I think that there's a time and a place for looking at these things. And certainly it's worthwhile to discuss it and figure out what's going on. Certainly the players association is going to be looking at this because uh, they forced it on the players, players whose bodies are their livelihoods. Um, I just don't think this kind of stuff is helpful. Ooh, must have been the poke. Doesn't even know. Doesn't even know.
I'll end on a positive note. The guy had a toy drive for his little local, his mom's daycare for toys. Okay. By the way, this is not like a super rich NFL player. He's basically on a, a relatively close to like a minimum contract. Uh, this was at about $10,000 last night before uh, the incident. and is now at $4.2 million. People are good. Cincinnati Bengal fans were showing up at the hospital. Candlelight vigils for him. NFL players were showing up. People are good. Look at this. Sam Malley just donated 15 grand. I don't even know who that is. NFL player, maybe? Carpet man flooring? This is what people come together, and, and you know none of this has anything to do with the poke. There'll be a time for that conversation, and I'm open to hearing all the all the angles of it and all the all the you know the findings on it. But uh, I just hate that it got you know like the guy's literally writhing on the field, or he's on the field, you know, responsible. And then like the top three trends are poke related. It's sad that we're in this place. Our leadership put us in this place. But uh, I'm hopeful that the kid pulls through and then we can worry about how he got there. And next up, Jordan B. Peterson sentenced in Canada to insane camp. This is unimaginable. A lot of people kind of scoffed at the 1984 comparisons that we've all been making for the past, I don't know, four or five years at this point. But that's all kind of slowly coming true, at least parts of it anyway. Now we have... Uh, you know, a a uh, free thinker in Jordan B. Peterson in Ontario um, has now been like sentenced to re-education to keep his job. A literal social media re-education camp. I'm not kidding. This is absolutely real. And uh, if people don't pay attention to this, it won't just be uh, something that happens in Canada or in the UK. It'll be here in the United States. We're already trending that way with many totalitarian progressives in government that want to make words illegal. And you have you know college universities saying, oh, you know, this here's a list of this year's words that we can't use. This via a tweet thread from Jordan P. Peter B. Peterson this morning, breaking the Ontario College of Psychologists has demanded that I submit myself to mandatory social media communication retraining with their experts for, among other crimes, retweeting Pierre Polivier, Poilivier, I don't know who that, sorry, and criticizing Justin Trudeau and his political allies. I have been accused of harming people, although none of the complaints involved the current action were clients of mine, past or present, or were even acquainted with any of my clients. I'm going to take the course. I'm going to take a course of such training with reports documenting my progress or face an in-person tribunal and suspension of my right to operate as a licensed clinical psychologist. This is in Canada. This isn't in like some weird country you never heard of before. Uh, this is, you know, right above, you know, a couple hundred miles above me, America's hat. And this is insanity. This is, you know, <laughs> a, a governing body of this field saying, 
that you aren't allowed to express opinions that we deem quote unquote harmful, which again, opinions aren't harmful. They're just opinions. They're just words. This is just the next level in, um, you can't do your job. This is how they control you, right? But I, when I say they, I mean like totalitarians, your government. We saw here through the Twitter files in the United States that we had FBI agents actively policing the, the, and infringing on, in my opinion, the First Amendment rights of United States citizens. Not governors, not mayors, not police, not uh, senators. Citizens. Not influencers, not creators, not, not widely popular people. People with two or three followers. The FBI was watching them. Quote, or he continues, about a dozen people from all over the world submitted complaints about my public statements on Twitter and Rogan over a four-year period out of the 15 million who follow me on social media claiming that I had, quote, harmed people, not them, with my views. Elon Musk chimes in with the double exclamation point. Uh, this is absolutely insane. I mean, it, it, it's insane. They're saying, well, we don't like what you tweet, so you cannot work anymore. Ontario College of Psychologists attempt to strip Jordan Peterson of his license. By the way, this is what on the National Telegraph. Nobody's even talking about this. You know why it's important? You know, I, I know a lot of like maybe U.S. media says, oh, it's in Canada, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know why they don't cover it more. But like you get that that's the policies that people are trying to implement here in the United States. Right. First, it was just in the U.K. Taught a dog a trick. Put, they try to put you in jail. Then it was in Canada. Across the ocean. Now it's right at our doorstep. And it's on the lips and tongues of many of our progressive politicians. This, thankfully, Mark Patro Patroni, Patron, Patrone covered it, saying, Canadian psychologist and author Dr. Jordan Peterson could be stripped of his license to practice clinical psychology over his sharing of political posts on social media. Not that he needs it, by the way. I doubt he, I mean, does he still take clients? That seems unlikely. Who could even afford him? But it's the principle of it. The College of Psychologists in Ontario, which regulates the profession in his home province, has disciplined Peterson over the sharing of political posts on Twitter. Peterson says he got in hot water with the college because he retweeted posts about uh, PM Justin Blackface Trudeau, conservative leader Pierre Polivier, I, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, um, and other people. The college has ordered Peterson to undergo mandatory social media communications retraining. It's like a re-education camp to modify his objectionable behavior. It's unclear what it is about the tweets or the sharing of them that may actually violate the college's code of ethics. Either way, Peterson says he will not comply. I have absolutely refused to do so, said Peterson. The next step for the college is to demand... He submit an in-person disciplinary hearing. If Peterson does not satisfy the college and commit to changing his behavior, it could strip him of his license to practice, which is what they intend to do, right? Canada has been given over to the commissars, Peterson said. Something I'd never see, and I thought I'd never see in my lifetime. He says he'll make sure to issue the public 
he'll make the issue public in the days ahead. Some of the posts that may be drawing the ire of the college include one on December 24th in which Peterson tweeted out a link to Conrad Black's column in the National Post, a moral imperative for Justin Trudeau to resign. Or perhaps I had this one where he wrote, I learned to watch for people's psychological age during my years during intensive clinical work. Justin Trudeau appears to be perpetually 14 years old. A joke. A joke. Right? These are, these are jokes. And they want to take away his job. This, you know, of course, a week after Jordan Peterson issues a dire warning, woke totalitarian social credit system is highly probable. Of course it is. I wonder if that's why they're on him. Maybe this is why they're more interested in the things that he's saying. Canadian psychologist, author, and famous anti-woke thinker Jordan Peterson warned Western countries that totalitarian social credit system coming is coming to their societies is highly probable. We see this type of thing. China, was where was that commercial where somebody was like buying a bottle of water and they were like, yeah, it wasn't Japan or China. It was like a white chick, blonde chick, Norway, Sweden, something like that. It was insane. Buy a bottle of water with only your face. Yeah, right. In a recent interview with Australia's Sky News, Peterson claimed that the policies and restrictions implemented by the Western nations during the coup may pave the way for automated social credit and digital passport system that would endanger the rights of citizens. He also said that most of the public has no idea that it could happen. Sky News' Rita Panahi introduced the topic asking, do you think what we did during the coup could usher in a version of our, of our social criticism? Yeah, of course, it was a dry run in my opinion. Without hesitation, Peterson responded and said, oh yes, definitely. Yes, that's highly probable. She followed up and said, and that will be accepted by many people. They won't even notice, her guests interjected, adding, you can't believe how much people don't know these things. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, look at all the people that were running. Remember when people were like tattling on their neighbors for having guests over during the lockdowns? Remember that? People are having, oh, you had people over Thanksgiving. I'm calling the cop. That happened. I mean, I think that, you know, for all of the, the battles that Jordan B. Peterson has had in the past year, he is still an extremely important voice uh, against this type of thing. And, you know, it's very clear to me that his government wants him silenced. And so they'll take away his ability to earn money. Now, it's Jordan Peterson, right? He probably gets a huge check from the Daily Wire. He probably could, he doesn't need his psychology money. But that's just the start, right? He, this is what, look, what they did to Alex, right? Social media basically dry ran unpersoning somebody with Alex Jones, in my opinion. And then once they did that, I was like, oh, we'll just do it to Andrew Tate. We'll do it to Donald Trump. We'll do it to whoever they want because they have all the systems in place then. Jordan B. Peterson is just a dry run, right? It'll be so much easier to get, you know, John Q. Public fired from their job for opinions, force them into re-education camps. It's absolutely diabolical. Make sure you leave a like on this video. If you haven't yet, subscribe. I'll continue to follow up on this case as Jordan shares more with us. And next up today, Elon Musk destroys Hillary Clinton in new Twitter files. Brand new Twitter files just dropped, so I'm gonna get right into it. I only ask that you leave a like on this video and you subscribe so you get notified the next time they drop and I can get you updated ASAP. Matt Taibbi indicated earlier today that there would be two drops and two articles. Let's jump right into it. 
how Twitter let the intelligence community in. In August 2017, when Facebook decided to suspend 300 accounts with, quote, suspected Russian origin, Twitter wasn't worried. Its leaders were sure that they didn't have a, quote, Russia problem. We didn't see a big correlation, no larger patterns. Facebook may take action on hundreds of accounts, and we may take action on, like, 25. Keep the focus on Facebook. Twitter was so assured that they had no Russia problem, executives agreed the best PR strategy was to say nothing on record and quietly hurl reporters at Facebook. We can be more candid pushing the book back to Facebook on background. Issuing statements brings us closer to Facebook, their vulnerabilities on the issue. We were working on internal comm strategy. So they actively were like, hey, let's smear Facebook. Quote, Twitter is not the focus of inquiry into Russian election meddling right now. The spotlight is on Facebook, wrote public policy VP Colin Crowell. So what they're saying is, <clears throat> don't insert yourself into the situation because we don't want them rooting around in here. In September, the same year, after a cursor review, Twitter informed the Senate that it suspended 22 possible Russian accounts and 179 others with, quote, possible links to those accounts amid a larger set of roughly 2,700 suspects manually examined. What was their, um, makes you wonder what their, uh, makes you wonder what their qualifications were for making those determinations. Receiving these merger meager results, a furious Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, ranking Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, held an immediate press conference to denounce Twitter's report as, quote, frankly inadequate on every level. So they were mad that they didn't ban more people um, based on zero evidence. Hashtag irony muse Crowell. The day after Warner's presser, after receiving the e-circular from Warner's re-election campaign asking for $5 or whatever you could spare, LOL, replied General Counsel Sean Edgett. 9. Keep producing material. After meeting with congressional leaders, Crowell wrote, Warner has political incentive to keep the issue at the top of the news. Maintain pressure on us and the rest of the industry to keep producing material for them. They're saying the news agencies, I assume. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Mark. He's talking about Mark Warner. Taking their cues from Hillary Clinton. Crowell added that Democrats were taking cues from Hillary Clinton, who that week said, quote, it's time for Twitter to stop dragging its heels and live up to the fact that it's a platform being used as a tool for cyber warfare. No evidence required or provided. In growing anxiety over PR problems, Twitter formed a Russia task force to proactively self-investigate. Team, we're being drafted. Thanks for being drafted to the Russia task force. For the next months, the team will be focused on conducting more fulsome retro of the 2016 election, preparing for open congressional hearings at the end of the month, telling Twitter's story publicly, including robust outreach to outside researchers, reporters, and members of Congress, and evaluating whether policy changes are needed. They sound afraid to me. The task force started mainly with data shared from counterparts at Facebook, centered around accounts supposedly tied to Russia's Internet Research Agency, but the search for Russia perfidy, perfidy was a dud. TLDR, we had an initial list of suspicious advertising content, a lot of benign content, need further investigation before we can draw any kind of conclusion. So they found nothing. On October 13th, the same year, no evidence of a coordinated approach. All of the accounts found seem to be lone wolf type activity, different timing, spend, and targeting. They're talking about ad spend, by the way. 
running ads on their platform. In 2000, I'm sorry, in October 18th, the first round of the RU investigation, 15 high-risk accounts, three of which with connections to Russia, although two are RT. That's <clears throat> Russia Today, I assume. Built, uh, quote, built a new version of the model that is lower pressure, up lower precision, but higher recall, which allows us to catch more items. We aren't seeing substantially more suspicious accounts. We expect to find about 20 with a small amount of spend. So they're saying like, okay, look, we lowered the threshold at, you know, what we think, um, you know, what we think instigates this interference. Even that we're not seeing any. This goes flies in the face. It's embarrassing for Hillary Clinton. After she beat that drum forever. Like literally. Then by October 23rd, quote, finished with investigation, 2,500 full manual account reviews. We think this is exhaustive, 32 suspicious accounts, and only 17 of those are even connected with Russia. Only two of those have significant spend, one, which is Russia Today, which is a news agency. Twitter's search finding only two significant accounts, one of which is Russia Today, was based on the same data that later inspired panic headlines like, quote, Russian interference influence reached 126 million people through Facebook alone. They lied. The failure of Russia task force to produce material worsened the company's PR crisis. Essentially, it feels like they were getting a ton of like demand to produce the kind of evidence, but it just wasn't there. You know, like it just wasn't there. In the weeks after Warner's presser, a torrent of stories sourced to the Intel committee poured into the news, an example being Politico's October 13th Twitter deleted data potentially crucial to Russia probes. They're flexing on him now, pressuring him through the media. Were Twitter a contractor for the FSB? They could not have built a more effective disinformation platform. John Hopkins professor and Intel committee, quote, expert Thomas Ridd told Politico. Congress threatened costly legislation and Twitter began was subject and Twitter began was subject to more began wait and Twitter began was subject to more again I assume they mean there again more bad press fueled by the committees the company changed its tune about the smallness of its Russia problem hi guys just passing along for awareness the write up here from the Washington Post today a potential legislation or new FEC regulations that may affect our political advertising, wrote Crowell, or Crowell, whatever. Hi, guys. Just passing it along. In Washington, in Washington, weeks after the first briefing, Twitter leaders were told by Senate that Senator Warner feels like tech industry was in denial for months, added an Intel staffer, big interest in political article about deleted accounts. Again, so what we have here is what it seemed, if I'm understanding this right, this Warner individual had zero evidence and just kept demanding Twitter produce it. And there just wasn't anything to produce. And then so they f and, and so then they uh, leaned on him harder to create it, it seems like. I don't know. That's my interpretation of it. You let me know in the comment sections down below. Twitter pledged to work with them and their desire to legislate. Knowing that our ads policy and product changes are an effort to anticipate congressional oversight. I wanted to share some relevant highlights of the legislation. Senators Warner, 
Klobacher and McCain will be introducing, wrote policy director Carlos Monge soon after. They have all the receipts attached if you're just listening. The committees appear to have leaked, even as Twitter prepared to change its ad policy and remove RT and Sputnik to placate Washington, Congress turned up the heat more, apparently leaking the larger base of 2,700 accounts. We do, will do on House Intel. The committees appear to have leaked the account names based on reporting of experts combing through the list and revealing new info, like on Brexit. I wonder who, so government leaked it? Reporters from all over started to call Twitter about Russia links. BuzzFeed, working with the University of Sheffield, claimed to find a, quote, new network on Twitter that had close connections, in quotations to, Russian-linked bot accounts. Okay, based on what, right? Quote, it will only embolden them. Twitter internally did not want to endorse BuzzFeed and Sheffield findings. Well, they just wanted to craft the narrative. It sure seems like they were more concerned with, uh, you know, didn't care how they got to the, the, end, the end result. They just cared that Twitter would f- provide them the evidence. Senate Intel Committee is asking possible to whip something together. Still, when the BuzzFeed piece came out, the Senate asked for a write-up of what happened. Twitter was soon apologizing to the same accounts they'd initially told the Senate were not a problem. Apologizing for them. So now they're like, oh, well, BuzzFeed says so? Oh, okay. Reporters now know this is a model that works. The cycle threatened legislation, wedded to scare headlines, pushed by congressional intel sources, followed by Twitter caving to moderation asks, would later be formalized in partnerships with the federal law enforcement. So essentially, that's how they got to the spot in this relationship, right? Government was just like, hey, we can just, you can, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Twitter soon settled on its future posture. In public, it removed content, quote, at its sole discretion. Privately, it would hold offboard any, it would offboard anything identified by the U.S. intelligence community as a state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations. You know, like Jim Bob, who made a joke about the election. Twitter let the USIC into its moderation process, U.S. Intelligence Committee. It would not leave, wrote Crowell in an email to the company's leaders. We will not be reverting to the status quo. Overall, my sense is that the political train has shifted in Washington in the run-up to those hearings. The tech industry is soon going to get a lot more scrutiny and questioning, and we will not be reverting to the status quo ante in D.C. soon. And of course, watch this space shortly for another thread. All this Marussia stuff seems to be bunk. Seems to be proved that Twitter seemed to do their best effort to, um, to, uh, back up these claims by the government and just weren't able to do so. Uh, I, for one, am not shocked at all. Um, and I hope that, you know, when <laughs> they're done arguing over the Speaker of the House today, that, you know, somebody gets right on this stuff. I feel like this will be an important election topic. Um, hopefully it is. You know, the United States intelligence community seemingly infringing on its citizens' First Amendment rights seems like a big deal to me. And next up, Elon Musk just dropped the big one. Twitter Fauci files begin with protecting Bill Gates and China. Well, it looks like we are starting, at least, the coup files. And um, pretty interesting stuff 
to say the least. I mean, it's uh, it's spicy, and uh, it's just it's just how do I say like it's just so black pilling. Like you just keep seeing it and seeing it and seeing it, and it's like ah. Uh, Hopefully we get some action, but this is a big story for Matt Taibbi uh, called the <laughs> FBI belly button. Uh, apparently this is uh, some spicy stuff. This looks like it's COOF related and uh, how they classified various uh, COOF testings and who got banned and what opinions you were allowed to have. Um, seemed like if you had any questions about it, they were categorizing you as as bots. This is nuts. Um why is this doing that? Okay. So, uh, by the way, if you haven't yet, I do have a locals page. I would absolutely love, I'm going to put the link in the pinned comment below if you followed me on locals. Right now, between that and my telegram, it's the best way to for me to get a hold of you uh, when there's a live stream or there's breaking news that maybe it's late night or there's not a notification or something like that. It's obviously totally free to follow me over there. And um, I would uh, hope that you do. Now, by 2020, Twitter was struggling with the problem of public and private agencies bypassing them and going straight to the media with lists of suspect accounts. Because we saw, you know, how basically the FBI and all these people were uh, doing this. Like, oh, you don't want to do our bidding? Okay, well, we'll just go to BuzzFeed and we'll have a list of accounts. And then we'll just say, oh, these are evil baddies. And, um, you know, you, you should probably, and Twitter refuses to, to ban them. Um, and then in February, 2020, so obviously this jumps three years from the earlier Twitter files from today. In February, 2020, as COOF broke out, the Global Engagement Center, a fledgling analytic intelligence arms of the State Department, went to the media with a report called the disinformation apparatus taking advantage of the COOF. Here's the report. And of course, Mo Russia. Uh, it's just so weird. Like if, you know, every time they say like, okay, I'm sure that, you know, Russia is some, something to be concerned about. But like, if you remember, you know, that 2016 to 2020, it was like, oh my God, they can't possibly be doing all of this. Yet CNN and the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton and all these people kept expecting us to think that Russia was like some super powerful machine that was... Uh, uh, taking over the world, and we just could, we were helpless against them. All we could do is vote for Hillary Clinton in hopes of stopping them. They can't even seem to take over Ukraine. Anyway, uh, so they had this report. The GEC flagged accounts as, quote, Russian personas and proxies based on criteria like, quote, describing the coup as engineered, blaming research conducted at this particular lab or institute, and attributing the appearance of it to the CIA. Now, obviously we know now a lot more than we knew then. I'm not sure what the, I have to be careful here. I'm not sure what the YouTube approved messaging is on this, but I will say that at least on Twitter, and I think also on YouTube, you are not, you are no longer being banned for sharing some of these possibilities, some of these ideas. It was so weird when they were banning people left and right. And it was like, you can't even question us. You have to believe it's, you know, it's, it's everywhere and it's all coming for you. Uh -huh. Well, you see here are some of the reports. 
uh, exacerbation of general concerns, blaming Bill Gates. Interesting. Describing the coup as engineered, attributing it to, uh, you know, so these are things that the government told Twitter that you weren't allowed to say. And if you did say it, apparently you were Russian. The state also flagged accounts that retweeted news that Twitter banned the, uh, the popular U.S. Zero Hedge, claiming that episode, quote, led to another flurry of, quote, disinformation narratives. Zero Hedge had done reporting, speculating that it had a specific origin. So you weren't even allowed to talk about Zero Hedge's ban. Why were they so? Golly, it's just such a dark day, you know, man. You know, you used to think at least some part of your government was out there looking out for you. But, I mean, they could not have possibly known. They could not have possibly known the answer to this. It's unlikely anyway, um, in terms of where the origin was. But they knew where it wasn't. Isn't that weird? How can you say, if you don't know where something came from, how can you say where it didn't come from? But that's exactly what, if that makes your brain hurt, it seems like exactly what they were doing. I guess that's my opinion. The GEC still led directly to stories like the AFP's headline, quote, Russia linked disinformation campaign led to the coup alarm, U.S. says, and a political story about how Russia, Chinese, and Iranian disinformation narratives echo one another. Boy, they sure like to use Politico, don't they? I wonder if there's some sympathetic journalist in there. Quote, you haven't made a Russia attribution in some time. When Clemson's media forensics have complained that Twitter hadn't made, quote, made a Russia attribution some time, Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth said it was re revelatory of their motives. Again, so they're saying, so they're saying here, hey, you aren't labeling enough stuff Russian as far as I understand it. God, this video, making this video makes me nervous. Make sure you follow me on Locals. <laughs> so, you know, like, it seems like we're getting into the thick of things that are, you know, non grata on this on this platform and others you know they're saying again he's saying well that you haven't attributed to russia in a while communist particularly revelatory of their motivations imo so even yoel roth knew something was up quote we're happy to work directly with you on this instead of nbc roth tried in vain to convince outside researchers like the clemson lab to check with them before publishing stories about foreign interference in the media. Twitter was also trying to reduce the number of agencies with access to Roth. If one of these folks are like House Homeland Committee and DHS, once we give them a direct contact with Yol, they want to come back to him again and again, said Policy Director Carlos Mangi. Of course they do, because they got what they wanted, right? Because he would... I don't know why it's doing that. What word is muted? I'll have to check Twitter. Weird Twitter glitch. So, I mean, like, it's, it's certainly suspect, right? When the State Department and GEC remember, I'm sorry, when the State Department slash GEC, remember, this was 2020 during the Trump administration, wanted to publicize a list of 5,500 accounts it claimed would amplify amplified Chinese propaganda and disinformation about the coup, Twitter analysts were beside themselves. The GEC report appeared based on DHS data, 
circulated earlier that week and included accounts that followed two or more Chinese diplomatic accounts just for following them. I follow a lot of people I don't agree with on Twitter. They reportedly ended up with a list of nearly 250,000 names long and included Canadian officials and a CNN account. Yowza. Nick Pickles at it again. I mean, are you joking? That's absolutely insane. Roth saw GEC's move as an attempt by the GEC to use intel from other agencies to insert themselves into the content moderation club that included Twitter, Facebook, the FBI, DHS, and others. The GEC was also agreeing, soon also agreeing to loop in Twitter before going public, but they were using a technique that had boxed in Twitter before. The delta between when they share material and when they go to press continues to be problematic, one comms official wrote. They're probably like, Hey, Twitter, any comment? Hey, BuzzFeed, I got some clicks for you. We're going to keep applying pressure until Twitter does what we want. The episode led to a rare public disagreement between Twitter and state officials. You have Twitter disputes, State Department claims, <clears throat> excuse me, that China coordinated disinformation. Wow. I mean, I guess we know that this was true based on what we've seen. It makes sense to push back on GEC participation in this forum when the FBI informed Twitter the GEC wanted to be included in the regular industry call between companies like Twitter and Facebook and the DHS and FBI, Twitter leaders balked at first, balked at first. I think it makes sense to push back on GEC. So even they're saying like, <coughs> excuse me, maybe we shouldn't keep giving more and more people access. Facebook, Google, and Twitter executives were united in oppositions to GEC's inclusion with ostensible reasons, including the GEC's mandate for offensive IO to promote American interests. I mean, uh, yikes. A deeper reason was the perception that unlike DHS and the FBI, which were apolitical, <laughs> as Roth put it, the GEC was political, which in Twitter ease appeared to be partisan code. I think they thought the FBI was less Trumpy, is one how, is how one former DOD official put it. After spending years rolling over Democratic Party requests for action on Russia-linked accounts, Twitter was suddenly playing tough. Why? Because as Roth put it, it would pose major risks to bring the GEC in, especially as the election heats up. Shout out to Matt Taibbi, by the way. If you use Twitter, you should definitely follow him. When senior lawyer Stacey, Stacia Card, Card, Cardier tried to argue against the GEC's inclusion to the FBI, the words resonated with Elvis, not Laura, i.e. with Elvis Chan, Agent Elvis Chan, and not Foreign Influence Task Force Unit Chief Laura Demlo. Eventually, the FBI argued first to Facebook for compromise solution. Other USG agencies could participate in the industry calls, but the FBI and DHS would act as sole conduits. I mean, think about this. This is the government saying like, hey, we're going to take over your company now. And we're going to also bring some of our friends and they're going to take over your company. Roth reached out to Chan with concerns about letting the press happy GEC in, expressing hope they could keep a small circle of trust. Oh, interesting. State NSA and CIA Chan reassured him that this would be one-way channel and that the state slash GEC NSA and CIA have expressed interest in being allowed 
in a listen-only mode. Well, I mean, so? Then they would just use that information to go to the press. Belly button. We can give you everything you're seeing from the FBI and USIC agencies, Chan explained, but the DHS agency, CISA, will know what's going on in each state. He went on to ask if industry could rely on the FBI to be the belly button of the USG. They eventually settled on an industry called call via signal. Ooh, interesting why they used the signal, huh? In an impressive display of operational security, Chan circulated private numbers of each of the company's chief moderation officers in a Word document marked signal phone numbers, subject line, list of numbers. Twitter was taking requests from every conceivable government body, beginning with the Senate Intel Committee, which seemed to need reassurance that Twitter was taking FBI direction. Execs rushed into tell Team SSCI. They zapped five accounts on an FBI tip. Yeah! Suck it, Americans. Make sure you subscribe because there's going to be a huge more fallout tomorrow for sure. Requests arrived and were escalated from all over the place. Treasury, the NSA, virtually every state, the HHS, the FBI, the DHS, and more. They all received an astonishing variety of requests from officials asking for individuals they didn't like to be banned. Here, the Office for Democrat and House Intel Committee, Adam Schiff, Ask Twitter ban a journalist. Oh, now maybe they'll take, maybe now they'll take some interest in it. We don't do this. Even Twitter declined to honor Schiff's request at the time. Sperry was later suspended, however. So somebody did, right? Twitter honored almost everyone else's requests, including those from GEC, including a decision to ban accounts like Rebel Protests and Bricks Media, which are still suspended to this day. Because GEC identified them as GRU-controlled and linked to the Russian government, just because they identified them as that. The GEC requests were what a former CIA staffer working at Twitter was referring to when he said, our window on this is closing, meaning they had days when Twitter could say no to serious requests were over, the day where they could say no. Remember the 2017 internal guidance in which Twitter decided to remove any user-identified by the U.S. intelligence community as a state-sponsored entity committing cyber operations. By 2020, such identifications came in bulk. USIC requests often simply said, we assess, and then provided lists, sometimes in separate Excel documents. They believed were connected to Russian internet searches committing cyber ops from Africa to South Africa to the United States. Based on what? One brief report sent right after Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine early last year flagged major Russian outlets like Vedomosti and Gazeta.ru. Note the language about, quote, state actors fits Twitter's internal guidance. Some reports were just paragraph long and said things like, the attached email accounts were possibly used for influence operations, social media collection, or social engineering without further explanation Twitter would be forwarded an Excel document. They were even warned about publicly surrounding a book by a former UK prosecutor who alleged corruption in the US government, specifically by Joe Biden. The weeks before the election in 2020, Twitter was so confused by the various streams of incoming requests, staffers had to ask the FBI which was which. I apologize in advance for your workload. Requests poured in from the FBI offices all over the country, day after day, hour after hour. 
If Twitter didn't act quickly, questions came. What action was taken? Any movement? Do it now. Do it now. Wrote Senator State St Senior Attorney, sorry, Stacey Car Cartier. My inbox is really effed up at this point. It all led to the situation described by Schellenberg, Michael Schellenberger, two weeks ago, in which Twitter was paid $3.4 million essentially for being an overwhelmed subcontractor. Twitter wasn't just paid for the amount of work they did for the government. They were underpaid. Wow. I hope you're paying attention. I hope you're still sharing it. Things are heating up. Essentially, if you, if you, if you had any kind of free thought about the coup, they were just calling you a Russian asset and getting you banned immediately. Why was the FBI doing this? There are a lot of questions that need to be answered. And last up, Idaho suspect Brian Koberger bizarre jailhouse behavior revealed. Uh, I know a lot of people are still kind of following everything that happened in the NFL last night um, with the player getting hurt. Um, but also there's other news going on. And I will continue to cover this story out of Idaho um, because, well, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of questions here to be asked, especially after what was released last night. Now, this morning... Um, you know, a criminologist says that he's eager to prove his innocence as the family has now claimed the cops got the wrong man, except a little something happened in prison already that uh, seems to refute that. So, of course, the suspect has arrived in court in Pennsylvania for an extradition hearing that will send him back to the state and where he is accused. Um, he denies the event, but is not fighting extradition. Rather, he says he's eager to get back to Idaho where he can answer the charges formally. The PhD student was locked up at his parents' house in Pennsylvania on Friday. His family insists police got the wrong man, despite investigators claiming that his DNA matches the sample found at the scene. He will go before a judge today at 3.30 p.m. He arrived at the court hour earlier, hours earlier amid a swarm of state troopers and media, he was seen entering the court wearing his red prison jumpsuit handcuffs, though he did not appear to be shackled at his feet. There will not be a live feed of the hearing, but a select number of photographers are allowed inside with journalists. Much of the case remains a mystery due to the fact that he was arrested in a different state than where the crime actually took place. Um, now, of course, the family, I mean, what is the family supposed to say? You know, yep, pretty sure my son did it. You know, I, of course, you know, you, you would expect that the family would, you know, be, you know, uh, optimistic. What's interesting is the family doesn't insist he's innocent. They don't believe it to be Brian. They cannot believe this. They're certainly completely out of character. These claims are really just trying to be supportive with the understanding of these four families have suffered loss. So they're sympathetic towards that. And that's why they should remain really private. And they don't <clears throat> want this case out in the court of public opinion. Labar said that he has been easy to talk to and is confident he will be exonerated. He believes that he's going to be exonerated and that's what he believes. Those were his words. He's been very easy to talk to. Actually, he's a calm demeanor. And this is one of those cases where like, you probably don't want it to be a public thing. You probably don't want it streamed 
because I don't know if he's like one of these, you know, people that do it for the fame, but you know, that's certainly part of it. We know that for example, Ted Bundy absolutely loved the spotlight, loved the media cameras, loved the interviews, loved the press. And a lot of these uh, lunatics do the same, allegedly. Now this guy is only, you know, a legend. But what I will say is an event that happened last night uh, or that was reported last night certainly looks a little suspicious. So he allegedly tried to uh, show himself taunted guards from his PA jail cell report. Fellow inmate told the Daily Mail that he had displayed bizarre and disturbing behavior while in Monroe County Jail, which is where he was being held until he could be extradited. Valerie uh, Kipolina told the outlet she witnessed him during the, his six-hour stay at the jail after she was arrested for putting her hands on somebody on New Year's Day. He said, you come in here and I'll cut you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to number one on your face. Do you... Uh, do what you want with me. I don't give an S. She claimed he yelled at one of the guards. She also told the Daily Mail that she was held in a cell across from him in Pennsylvania so she could see and she could see his upper body through the glass. She said she didn't recognize him, but another inmate informed her that that's the guy that, uh, you know, with the college students. Now, she was arrested for fighting with her boyfriend, so I don't know if, you know, uh, you know, that's... It's difficult to know if, uh, you know, that's if she's trustworthy or she's just trying to get some clout. I certainly have seen a lot of people, for example, in the Andrew Tate case suddenly come out and be like, oh, I'm an Instagram model and he tried to lure me. Here's my Instagram handle. Definitely don't follow me. So you never really know. But what's interesting is, you know, th there were some there's a lot of stuff. He understands the seriousness of his charges and that the penalty on his life is on the table. He has said, told his attorney, this will be a long process. LeVar's ordered psychiatric evaluation after learning how he has behaved behind bars. KHQ reports that he's been sitting in a ball on the floor, barely speaking to guards. Uh, LeVar is a public defender in Pennsylvania who was assigned the case following his arrest. I mean, I assume he's going to have, you know, an attorney in, back in Idaho. But it's, you know, it's difficult to know. I mean, here's some more specifics around uh, his bizarre antics, as the media is putting it. He said that she heard him yelling, I'll, I'll cut them, I'll cut you, in taunts directly at guards in the jail. You come in here, I'll cut you. Um, and then do what you want with me. According to the outlet, she could see his upper body through the glass. While she was locked up, she didn't realize who he was. The website also claims that she heard him singing the line F my enemies and my foes from a Little Wayne song, Multiple Flows, along with uh, misogynistic lyrics from the Puerto Rican rapper Bad Bunny through the report, though the report did not cite specific examples. So this woman was in jail for fighting with her husband and she was worried about misogynistic lyrics? I don't know. I mean, was he having, you know, meltdowns? He goes right, he also goes, after being told to shut up by one guard, he reportedly, allegedly replied by screaming, come in here, all of you. Are you scared of me? You should be scared of me. You're going to do nothing because I'll cut all of you up. Allegedly adding, come into the cell and I'll show you I'm a creeper. That sounds like normal. That sounds 
like a normal thing to do. A lot of people are looking into the parents, of course, everything we know about their parents. Look, I mean, I, I think that some of these cases, you can maybe go back and talk about what kind of childhood they had. What did their parents make them do? Did they, you know, was this, you know, some sort of weird childhood? But it doesn't really seem to be the case here. He grew up in a parent average family with a warm-hearted mother, records and witnesses attest. Uh, he was born back in 1994 and the youngest child uh, and only son of Michael Koberger, who is 67, and Marianne, who is 62, with older sisters, blah, blah, blah. Throughout his childhood, both his parents worked for Pleasant Valley School District. Records show that his dad was a maintenance worker for the school and his mom was a professional assistant with special needs. Uh, in the aftermath of the event, <clears throat> his dad flew to Spokane, Washington to accompany his son, a doctoral student in criminal justice at Washington State University in Pullman, just 10 miles from the actual site of the crime on a 2,500-mile drive back to Pennsylvania. The pair traveled in the white Hyundai Elantra that subsequently had been linked to the actual scene. They were pulled over twice for speeding and tailgating. It's unclear how he was with his mother, whom his former classmates Deja Mann remembered as the most warm-hearted and kind individual. Brian's mother was my special needs teacher, man told the Post this week. Whenever I sat at her press, she was always right there by my side. She would always cheer me up. So, you know, <clears throat> kind of the, the terrible childhood story seems to be uh, flying out the window now. Uh, I want to the, get your thoughts on this latest information. The idea that he's like a lunatic seems to be gaining strength. I do want to address some theories going around, of course, TikTok, where they just make up things. Um, there is some thoughts, some questions around if the guy did or did not act alone. I've seen zero actual evidence of that. Some people have been pointing to like, oh, this is him calling into a true crime podcast. Wasn't him. Um, then there was a video of like, oh, this is a this is a TikTok he uploaded talking about the incident. I don't know. It doesn't. It seems like a stretcher looking at his reflection in a mirror, and they're like, "Oh, he has the same bent nose. It's the same guy." Um, right now, what we do know is there is some numerology being discussed, like the address of the house and the date that it happened on, um, and that's wild. There's also some other unopened cases that people are curious if he was involved in. Um, I I don't know. Um, I suspect there were more. The idea that his very first go was four people seems very suspicious to me. I have lots of questions about why those four and not all six while you're there. Did you get panicked? I mean, the middle, did you skip the middle four? Did you not know there was anybody there? There's, there's a lot of questions uh, about this that need to be answered that will be answered probably through the trial. Although I, I'm like 50-50 if I think, you know, he actually participates with the trial um, for a variety of reasons. I'll be curious to hear what you have to say in the comment section down below after he gets his extradition hearing today at 3.30. If there's any major update, I will update you. So make sure you subscribe uh, using the button down below. And uh, I'll keep bringing what, uh, you know, trying to sift through all these stories that seem to be popping up to try and bring you uh, as close to the truth as reasonably possible. Hope you enjoyed this video and we'll talk to you again real soon.